Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. How are you, Andy? I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? I am very well. I'm a little bit flustered. Like I literally ran back. I do this, and I think this has been possibly since before Christmas. Like I'll be like, yeah, 10's fine. And then I'll always message Andy at like 10 to 10 being like, my legs are slower than they used to be. So It's the age thing. It's an age thing. It's my back. I had another MRI yesterday. Oh, did you? Mm. Um, so I find out the results in a week. But it was a different machine. And it is so small. Like, to the oh. extent I'm like, how do bigger people than me fit in there? And like, I must be on the small side of what people, what, like, of people. Uh, Yeah, I've had a couple of MRIs in obviously on my knees and stuff and I'm glad I'm not having to get anything else done because like I get to waste waste width and I'm like I'm not getting in this thing send me to the zoo to get a bloody uh, an MRI one that they use the hippos on the hippos and the rhinos yeah so that was exciting and then I was talking about so I've had shoulder surgery to like pin in my shoulder because it kept dislocating and they call it pinning it in and she was like right so is there metal there and I was like I didn't think so. And I was like, it was fine last time. She's like, yeah, but this MRI is 10 times stronger. So she's like, well, if it's painful, like just press the buzzer. I was thinking, doesn't, like, if there is any metal anywhere near it, it just like... Drags out of you. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a big magnet, so it is. (gasps) Jeez. Well, anyway, luckily, there is not metal inside my shoulder. Ideal. Always good. Um, okay, along, along to the questions of the podcast. Oh, wait, f- first of all, we have to say how well. So I did all of the Commit to Six check-ins this weekend. They were amazing. Like, some of the best two weeks results I've seen, despite the fact, like, there's so many things that you could potentially use against you at the moment. Like, oh, we're in lockdown. Oh, I'm stressed about work situations, about family, about trying to homeschool my kids while maintaining a job and working from home and a relationship (gasps) and all of these things so extremely well done for putting that to the side and just being like no do you know what I'm gonna use this time to focus on bettering myself anyway and I do think like it always helps me when I'm busy to be like yeah but time is gonna pass anyway and having less time to overeat probably a good thing yeah, so that, definitely. When you're busy, I think is actually quite a good time to diet. Oh, it's it's um, one of the things, one of the methods. If I'm doing like a a cut or something like that, I try and make sure that I'm busy. I'll put stuff into my day that I probably wouldn't previously do, just so that I don't have the the thought. Because I'm I'm a boredom eater. Like if I'm sitting at home and I've got nothing to do, I'm like, oh, what's in the cupboard? Oh, I'll find that stuff that I would never normally eat as well. It's like. Oh, just I'll find a way to eat it with something. So yeah, no, definitely. The busier I am, definitely the easier it is to diet. So sorry, can you hear that? Who was that? There's like there's someone mowing the lawn right outside my window. Can you hear it? No. No, I can't hear it. Oh, okay, that's okay. Um, I I swear they mow that lawn like every other day. You don't need to. You don't need to whisper. They've got the lawnmower on. They can't hear you. Well, I can hear them talking. <laughs> anyway, no one needs to know this. Right. First question: Will growing more muscles in my hands and glutes in turn make this area tighter? This is where I tend to 
hang on to some body fat slash cellulite. So I'm hoping building it up could minimize this. Also, as I'm build as I'm in a building phase right now, does does muscle build in equal proportions in the body, or does or does everyone have areas that build sooner than others, um, stubborn areas that take way longer to build, etc. Um. So the first bit was well, your glutes and your hands. Sorry, hands. Oh, your hamstrings. Right, right, right. Um. Yeah. So yeah, hands. <laughs> I think you said hands. I was like, what the hell? So that you get a better grip then. Um, you know, I, the I more, did like to have lean hands. Yeah, lean hands. The, the, the veiny hands like I usually have. Mm, yeah, I like to see all of the tendons. That's it. But um, yeah, uh, no, um, obviously the more, the more, the more you're going to train, the more you're going to build muscle, body fat's going to start to reduce. So, you know, things like cellulite will start to, to, to sort of drop a little bit as well. Um, what was the second part of that question was about stubborn body parts yeah so um, let's answer the first part so the yeah. first part was really about cellulite slash stubborn fat so if you work on your hamstrings and glutes will this area look tighter yes probably because the muscle will grow that won't necessarily mean that because you're working your glutes you'll lose fat from your glutes and as a woman, that is somewhere where we tend to store the most of our body fat. So that will be your last place to get really lean. It also, like building muscle and losing a bit of fat, will also reduce the appearance of cellulite. It won't completely eradicate it. Um, but you would be surprised, and I've spoken about this before, but fitness models have cellulite. They just don't take, you know, like they're not going to be on the front cover of a magazine, or maybe they are at the moment because it's quite in to show all this stuff. But when they get taken, photos in their quote unquote like best how they look absolutely best they're not going to be showing their cellulite so you only see that image of them when actually when anyone sits down they have rolls when anyone squishes their ass they have cellulite like it's completely normal so make sure that your goal isn't to like completely eradicate cellulite because that will not happen nor does anyone else have that so everyone has it so i yeah. guess my point is you see yours more than anyone else will because you're you're basically looking for it and we're always looking for like the faults in ourselves which is not yep. great but okay so second part of the question um does muscle build in equal proportions in the body or does everyone have areas that build sooner than others um no it's not um it doesn't it, nothing works in sort of like like we we're talking about linear weight uh, linear weight loss last week there's no linear linear so linear linear muscle gain um so you'll find that a lot of people struggle to build certain areas sometimes that's down to the fact that they don't like training that area so they don't put as much effort in they don't lift as much they don't progress as much um but sometimes just things like if you are you know you know sometimes you you might not be able to activate them properly as well so you might not be able to activate the muscles that you're trying to work properly so they're not going to get the full um they're not going to make as much um progress as a muscle that is activating better um so yeah, yeah no you always a good, um example of that is Tom Wright's delts. Oh, there's just like yeah. literally pumpkin caps. Probably, or well, not many people might know who Tom is, but he's a good friend of ours. And he has amazing delts, like ridiculous. But 
small in comparison, not small, but small in comparison. Yeah. Well, uh, in comparison, just trying to like make sure that he doesn't listen to this and call me out on it. Um, pecs, because he predominantly uses his delts instead of his pecs when he's doing pressing movements. Yeah. So it, that's a good example of what Andy's talking about in terms of like, are you firing the right muscles? So one, like one part of that would be contracting the right muscle and telling that muscle it needs to grow, like that's your signal for it to grow. Um, and another part will be, as Andy's saying, like there are areas like a lot of men are like, oh, I really want to grow my calves, but they're always small. And sometimes they will just stay small, even if you do yeah. a million calf raises a day. A lot of that's genetics and where your muscle insertions are, how long your levers are in comparison, all these kind of things. So to some extent, like a lot of this is out of your control. But yeah. if you're like, I really want to build my triceps and you do a hell of a lot of pushing work, a hell of a lot of tricep works, yeah, you will get bigger triceps. And if you're like, oh, I really want to build my lower body and you're concentrating more on lower body than upper body, then yeah, you'll build more lower body. At the moment, your program is meant so that you're like getting a good balance between everything as yeah. opposed to sort of making you really big on the top half. I guess that's the typical thing you would see with like teenage guys, first time at the gym, let's just bench press every session. Yeah. And it's like the triangle shape. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's, um, you, you know Gordy Adam. Um, Gordy's a natural bodybuilder and he's an absolute freak of a man. Like he's got some of the biggest arms like I've seen. Um, and he said, he's, he'll tell you exactly the same thing. His, was, his arms were built because he was a, he was, a retard when he was training, when he first started training, all he did was dips and easy bar curls. That's all he did. Like literally nothing else. Did it every single day of the week. And he's got frightening arms. And that's just, it's just progressive overload. Like you're physically making the muscle, um, destroying the muscle for it to rebuild, to get bigger. Um, but sometimes, you know, like things like calves, calves is always an interesting one because of, as we, as you said, it's like a lot of that's like very much genetic. You might, your calves aren't just aren't predisposed to get bigger. Um, one of, one of mine and Shona's mates, Nick, he's, we, we give, we rinse him ridiculously because he's got really good quads and hamstrings, but his calves are shocking, like literally shocking. And he does everything he can to, to make bigger calves, but just can't do it. Whereas I do no calves and I've got pretty decent calves just from the amount of football and running and stuff I did when I was younger. Um, but I've, my genetically, my mum's my got big calves and my dad's got big calves. I was probably always going to get big calves. So Yeah, uh, I, think, I think I heard um, Rich Kozdecki, he's another natural bodybuilder. Oh no, wait, maybe it was the assistant. Anyway, big bodybuilder, amazing calves, huge. Like, I don't even, yeah, like bigger than my quads. Massive. Um... He, he was, I think he was asked about it and his answer was, look at my dad's calves. He's never been in the gym in his life. And he just like, it is, a lot of it yeah. is genetic. I think and, with things that's like... Why I think um, it's really silly. Or if you're asking, say, that person with the amazing calves, how they got good calves, probably the last person you should ask. Who you're looking for is someone who started with not so good calves and managed to grow them. That's who you're looking yeah. for, not someone who's just been genetically blessed and they're like, oh, yeah, because yeah, their routine might be, I didn't do any calves. Yeah. Oh, okay. so many, yeah, so many people with a sporting background will also have very good calves because it's the positional movement of sprinting, of running, of Fire jumping. Stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's just your calves are constantly getting battered. Um, but as you say, yeah, if you, you know, rather than looking for somebody who's got the 
the biggest arms. How do you get the biggest arms? Look for somebody who's made the progression from having chicken wings to decent arms and go, what did you do? Like, I want to know what you did because that's going to help. That's, you're going to learn more from that than someone said, yeah, I've just, I've always, I've always looked this, I've always had these size of arms. Yeah, exactly. Dicks. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, one thing I wanted to add on this is that I didn't, outright say you can't spot reduce fat from that area because there is some research um that suggests that if you uh do resistance training on that area so you stimulate those muscles so let's say you did a load of hamstring curls and then you did cardio more fat would be mobilized from near that muscle that you have activated now that like the reason i don't implement that with anyone is because i don't think there is much real world significance to that like oh cool it's something we found in the study like i wouldn't use it with any of my clients because i just don't think there's the support for it like it's been found once it was quite a small amount it's also you're looking at yeah it's mobilized a little bit more fat from that area but you don't know like you would still have to be in a deficit you would still have to be losing body fat from everywhere so i don't know it's it's an interesting finding probably too soon to Make it real, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, this one's from Hannah, and it says, it's not really for the scope of this podcast, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on positive versus negative stresses and finding that balance. Um, yeah, I think for positive versus negative stressors, for me, I've always been somebody who prefers to hear I prefer to see or get the critical analysis. So I prefer to hear the negative stuff because it gives me something to work on to then become positive. Um, but I think a lot of that kind of stuff just, I think a lot of it's how you're designed to like relay this information to yourself. Because I know a lot of people, and I know a lot of clients that I work with, if you give them negative stuff, they take it on really, take it really hard. And they're like, oh my God, I, um, oh no, I didn't even know I was doing that. And you're like, whoa, whoa, calm down. Like, don't stress too, don't stress about it. It's something that we can work on. Whereas, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who, if something negative happens for me, I'm just like, as we constantly say, if it's something I can control, I'll control it. If it's something that's out of my control, it's not a stressor. It doesn't bother me. So, um, yeah, I, mine, it's very much a, I think it's very much a triage system of stress. You need to know when to cut it, cut it away, and to get rid of it. Um, That's a good then, way to put it. Yeah, and then know the bits that you need to work on to salvage. So, like, there are certain things, you know, that you that will get thrown at you, and you might be like, right, well, I can control these three things. So that's your triage system. Is I'm going to save them, and then there's these three things that actually they're not things that I can affect. So cut them away, get rid of them. Um, Stress yeah. is such an interesting area of research because we're so like within the media and how it's like stress is. If I said, "Oh, I'm stressed," that's a negative. Like it's seen as negative. Yeah. Or having stress is seen as negative. You see headlines like, "Stress causes the most diseases," blah blah blah. And it's like, I don't know. Anyway, there's really interesting research that shows that it's com almost completely about how you perceive that stress. And it, I think, and I'm going to butcher this, so don't quote me on it, but it followed a group of people anyway. I think they were from Harvard. All these big, like, follow-up follow studies seem to be 
a lot of the time from Harvard. Anyway, I think they were Harvard grads or something. And they tested them on how much stress they had and how they perceived that stress. And it was the perception of, like, if they thought, oh, that, good, that stress is good, or if they thought, I don't have much stress, even though they had those stresses in their life, they were less likely to die of stress-related causes. But even if someone had very little stress but perceived stress to be bad, they were at a higher chance of dying which is crazy. So it's just how you think about it. And even if you like look at your life now, okay, maybe you're working from home, you're homeschooling your kids, you're trying to maintain your relationship with your partner, even though you're all in the same house and it's a total mess. Plus you're working on your fitness. Plus you've got another goal outside, like you're not happy in your job. So maybe you're looking for another job. These are all like stresses, right? They are all positive. Cool. You've got a job. Great. Especially in this climate. That's awesome you've got kids that you're homeschooling like I know that that is obviously stressful but also how lucky are you to have kids that you are able to homeschool you've got a partner that you love and you want the relationship to work with them again a positive like all these things or like you're ambitious as well because you're looking for a new job and because you're not settling on this like these are all good stresses but I think it's when we reach a point of overwhelm and I think that point of overwhelm comes at a lower point if you perceive those stresses as negatives and you yeah. just feel sort of overwhelmed by them oh definitely it's 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 the throwaway comment of like first world problems isn't it it's like certain people will it's the same in anything like if you put a whole host of people into like a into a program for instance like commit to six where people are trying to to cut off a bit of body fat they're going to be a whole um, there's going to be a whole spectrum of people who will deal with things differently. You'll have people who are very positive from no matter what gets thrown at them, but you'll also have at the opposite end of stuff where you'll have people who take it really badly, even if it's like something that's like, it's, we would look at it and go, that's a positive, like this, you, you've, you've, in, you've increased your weight that you're lifting by like 2.5 kilos, oh, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Mm-hmm. it's still a progress it's still progression and i think it's you know we're as human beings we're all we're all programmed differently and i think a lot of that also comes from like for me it came from my dad like my dad helped me a lot with things like stress and things like stressing and i saw him juggling a, a job where he worked for like 14 hours a day to taking me to play football, to taking me to piano lessons, to taking me to swimming, like swimming, piano lessons, and football in one were in one day. And this was after he'd done like fourteen hours of a shift, like and working for himself, and he would do that. And so seeing him dealing with that, and what I'm like, for instance, oh, I'm having a real, I'm having a real tough time trying to to lose some, like to cut a bit of body fat. Cause I'm like going for a competition. You just sit and go put it into, I put things into perspective and go, do you know what? I put myself here, like the stresses that my that my dad had and he dealt with. I managed to see how he dealt with it. You know, he would he would he would train as well. He would play football. You know, he played football. He's sixty five this year. He was sixty five this year. Still plays football twice a week at five sides. You know, there's loads of different things that you learn from other people as well. You know, how they deal with stress. Mm. Um, yeah, but, I don't think it necessarily needs to be like that's amazing. But if you don't have someone like that in your life, or you haven't been brought up with that, like. just looking a bit at the research around stress and if you view it as something that because like the most stressful situations create the best performance as well like people some people crumble under stress but 
some people like perform at their absolute best under stress like look at an Olympic yeah. final could it be more yeah. stressful situation but that's when you're performing at your best so yeah I think stress is very interesting okay do you know which tracker is more accurate for for heart rate i.e cardio and fat burning zones oh gosh we have a problem already I have I have both oh do you know which tracker is more? I don't know what both means. And always try to get into the yellow slash green with my zone. But when I look on my Fitbit, it's largely fat burning and I think I should be in cardio. It's frustrating. That Like, ignore it. It sounds like you're using a heart rate monitor and your Fitbit. Ignore both of them. Like, heart rate zones are sometimes useful when you're training athletes but they're really not that useful like rpe so like your rate of perceived exertion is absolutely fine or if you're doing cardio purely just to like increase your knee or increase your step count then it doesn't really matter what your heart rate zone is sometimes it's interesting to check now and again but there's like i've not told you to worry about it because you do not need to worry about it it's again overcomplicating something that you do not need to overcomplicate okay um with cellulite does it get worse with age um but you know what it probably will because you've got slightly less elasticity like if you just think about like okay that's been i don't know maybe 40 years of gravity on your body um so yeah it probably will a little bit but that's okay and lifting weights and building some muscle is definitely going to reduce any like amount of cellulite and any, how much it maybe hangs or if it's not very elastic. Um, and then quickly, because this is a quick one too, with cellulite in mind, does a higher fat diet make it worse? There used to be a book from Rosemary Connolly. You know her? Uh, Rosemary Connolly, was she not like one of these, um, she was like one of the ones that did the original VHS workouts. Oh. So she was a bit like the Davina McCall, but for video, not for DVDs. I see. So she had a photo of her pre-low-fat diet and after. Her cellulite was drastically reduced. This was based on foods that were less than 5 grams fat per 100 grams. It does yeah. not matter. She was in she a got, calorie deficit. That's why exactly. she lost her weight. Aye, she was. She was the original, she was the original Lycra uh, wearing... Um, Exercise and health. Author, funnily enough, authored a low-fat diet and exercise program. So. Oh, oh, there you go. No, you don't need to eat low-fat. Yeah. You will, if you look, you will find people who have lost and who are promoting diets that are really high in fat and diets that are really low in fat. Um, and the evidence, a big study that looked at the evidence of both, took into account many, many other studies that showed that there was almost no difference between the two. I think there was slightly more weight loss in the low carb, but fat loss was the difference, was the same. Yeah. Um, okay. And then finally, so this is all from the same person, um, which is going to make sense when you hear this one. So do macros matter as long as I get the 100 grams of protein in? No, they don't. All we need you to focus on, and this, so, and then she says, this is something I'm still working on. So this is what, like, we've set you targets, calories and protein. 
don't do not even think about worrying about anything else until you can hit those and even then like no I won't have you going low fat or whatever but even if I was going to do that that would be like a next layer thing like hit the basics first before you worry about anything else and the chances are you won't have to worry about anything else because when you hit the basics you will get the results that you want exactly um okay she says i've done so many diets and systems i've confused myself do not worry that's what we are here for okay next question so i had one calorific day on tuesday and i know they say one good meal one bad meal doesn't make you fat but when you're trying to lose body fat but also trying to stay motivated is having a takeaway once a fortnight going to cause a massive detriment to fat loss. I know it's all about being in a deficit and consistency, but also enjoying yourself. And although I shouldn't feel guilty about having a one-off day, I keep thinking that maybe I hadn't had, that if I hadn't had that bad day, I'd be a few pounds less. I think I need to work on my mindset. Yeah, you probably do. Like you're, Because you've answered your own question. Like, yeah. oh, is this okay? And then you're like, oh, I know that if I'm in a deficit and I'm consistent, I will lose body fat. But I'm still like, we don't want you to feel guilt around food. Like eating food does not make you a bad person. It doesn't matter what food it is. Like there's no need to ever feel guilt or shame around eating food. Yeah. Um, and having a takeaway every fortnight, if you want one, is absolutely fine. Like if, and also it is good and I'm probably more like, it's good if it makes you stick to your diet long term. And within the check-ins, I was far more impressed with people when they were like, yeah, I sucked my calories all week, saved a couple hundred for the weekend, had a few glasses of wine and some kettle crisps or whatever with my husband. Cool. Like that is more impressive to me because it's maintainable than someone yeah. who's like, I chose to stick to the meal plan. I've stuck to it religiously. I've learned nothing, but I have lost some weight. Nope. Yeah. Okay, I see most people working out first thing in the morning. It often makes me feel lazy, but I always need breakfast and a coffee first thing before I can build myself up to do a workout. Is it better for you, for your overall fat loss slash health to work out first thing in the morning? I want to get better at working out first thing, but my brain is a massive obstacle in that it keeps avoiding it or putting it off. Do you have any advice or tips to get in gear? You go. I've spoken too much. Um, it doesn't matter when you train during the day. Um, it's If you train first thing in the morning, you might find that it helps pep you up for the day so you've got a bit more motivation, you're a bit more switched on, waking you up a little bit. Um, personally, I don't like training first thing in the morning. Um, I, I'm very similar. I need some caffeine. I need some food in me before I can make up a good hammer training um, it's just where it sits in your day if you um, are wanting to get better at training first thing in the morning it's going to be uh, just pretty much giving yourself a kick in the arse and getting it done um, I think it's I think a lot of people will train in the morning because it's obviously down to your lifestyle so you know if you've got a busy day ahead you know you've, you've got family etc you've got to deal with in the evening probably morning sessions can be better for you but where your training sits in the day is very dependent on what how you where you find it works best for you um, and sticking with it so if you feel that you train better in the evenings there's no reason why you need to, to change it up um, yeah I, I mean don't feel lazy about it if you're getting up having a coffee and breakfast first 
that is absolutely fine. The reason I like to train first thing is that I won't get it done if I don't do it first thing or I'm not going to the gym. Like, especially at home, it's really important for me to get up and do it. Um, but at the gym, yeah, I'd probably train in the evening because I prefer yeah. training then if I'm doing sort of more resistance training. Um, and don't beat yourself up because there are people who are morning people, i.e. myself, and there are people who are not. So, like, don't, don't worry that you're not training in the morning. The reason I, like, if you're not training in the morning, do your morning routine. Make sure you're doing that because starting your day with something positive has a huge knock-on effect for the rest of the day. And that's one of the great things about training in the morning, but it doesn't mean you have to get up and do a full session. It could just be getting up, like you say, you're having a coffee, having a nice breakfast. If, while, while the coffee's brewing, you do 20 sit-ups, 10 push-ups, 20 squats, or wh whatever it is. Um, it yeah. could be like individual to you as well. Like maybe you have an injury and you're going to do a little bit of rehab work within that. Something in the morning so that you're like, okay, like I am being positive for the rest of the day. I'm making healthy choices for the rest of the day because I've started my morning on a positive. That's what we want. Okay, yeah. I struggle really bad with eating in the middle of the night. Sometimes it will be several nights in a row. Sometimes I will be able to fight it. I'm, I am always tired because of it and incredibly ashamed, which you should not be. However, oh, sorry. Have you ever heard of this problem or anyone that has overcome it? I've been struggling for years with it. I have two clients at the moment who are struggling with this. Well, actually three. Um, and yeah, it is hard. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Like it's, it's an obstacle that we have to overcome and find out why that's happening. And that's what I've been doing with my other clients is trying to dig into why that's happening. Are you anxious about something? Are you not sleeping well? Like one of them has knee pain and that's keeping them up, which means they're kind of yep. up and they're like, oh, I'm just going to eat. And it's strange because without any effort whatsoever, like I, around Christmas, I didn't sleep like, at all <laughs> like I couldn't sleep at night and it, it's an awful thing like it seems just like oh you can't sleep so what not only does it like impact your whole day but the night is so long like you're waiting for six in the morning to be like right I can start my day and it's like a, it's a horrible thing so I completely sympathize with that but luckily for me eating did not cross my mind once in the night like it just you know and it's just like so out of the norm that I wasn't like, I mean, I wasn't hungry and I just didn't even think about eating, but obviously that's not the case for everyone. So it's kind of figuring out what the cause is. And instead of treating like the symptom, which is the fact that you're eating at night, it would be better to try and get to the root of why you're not sleeping and see if we can fix your sleep, because that is then going to have a knock on effect rather than yeah. still not sleeping, but we've put some other coping mechanism in place so that you don't eat. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, running like, you know, you run like mood diaries and stuff like that. Find mm. what the things are, you know, simple things. It could be something even as simple with, a, you know, I remember having a client who was doing the same for a bit and it was genuinely due to the fact that they, were, they weren't setting their meals up correctly. So they were having a lot less at night than their evening meal. So at one o'clock in the morning, you wake up and you're absolutely starving, like just things like that. So it's find what, it, as you say, find the, find the cause rather than 
trying to treat the symptom. So find it what it is that's actually triggering it, triggering you to get up, whether it be, you know, that you're uncomfortable because you're sore, whether it be that you're, you're, sleep, you're, you're a light sleeper and you, you've maybe got your phone on vibrate and stuff like that. And it's, it's folk are messaging you or you're getting a notifications. Find what it is that the thing that is that's triggering it all and then try to root that one out. Yeah. And, and Andy's point about making a diary, amazing. Like, that's what you need to do first so that you can be like, okay, I woke up because I was overthinking this. Or is it, I woke up because, like Andy's saying, your, your last meal isn't very big. Like, we need to figure out the patterns so we can identify what the problem is. I, and I did a little bit of research on this. And there was a study and I was like, oh, great. Like, this, is, this should answer some things. But it was like completely, it was like all medical. So they were like antidepressants, obviously, throw, throw antidepressants yeah. at everything. But like things like that, because I think probably something like that I'm on for my back, which is amitriptyline, which makes you really dozy. Mm. Like, oh, great. Do you know what would we'll just like knock you out? You won't be able to sleep. You won't be able to eat in your sleep then. Like that is not treating the like problem there. It's just like take some drugs to mask it. Takes uh, exactly. you'll never wake up in the night because you'll be absolutely out your tree yeah okay um protein makes up 25 to 30 percent of my macros is that okay since i'm still below my overall calorie target and my goal is weight loss i get the vibe vibe from the podcast that it's just about that's just about acceptable um not sure we've ever said percentages okay how (laughs) how much should we be looking at overall macro type percentages at the end of the day um okay so we don't look at percentages and there's a number of reasons for that and i know my fitness pal uses it but at either end of the spectrum percentages can get a bit skewed so you might i might initially be like oh i want you to have the 30 percent protein but then as you get leaner or smaller i might want to like that percentage the or the grams that make up that percentage would get smaller but i'd still want you to be hitting the 100 grams that's why i set you the 100 grams and not or whatever like it might be higher than 100 grams for some people i'm just saying most people are probably on about that um that's why we don't use percentages so i think that answers that um other question would Oh, other question would be, comma, how much does step count matter when I'm already quite active in terms of other workouts? I know that more active, I know that the more active you are, the faster the weight loss, but how much of a priority should steps be versus other things? Do you want to take that? Um, Step-wise, obviously we set step-wise for people's activity levels if you are already training a couple of times a day you probably you might not need to do the steps for your knee but the step i find that steps for me steps aren't about the uh, the, the neat side of stuff mines are for more for like my, my head it keeps me relaxed it keeps a time when i'm out walking i can um think through stuff that um that's on my mind i can click i can write a bit of content 
if needed. So steps for me are, are, are more than just that, that side of stuff about activity level. Um, but, you know, if you're, depending on what your activity level is and what you're doing, you might find that you're getting your steps in with that anyway. So, you know, if you're doing a, a class a day, you know, you might find that you're hitting your steps anyway. So I think it's something you should really worry too much about. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, and I would just like, I mean, in your workouts, like wear your watch or figure out how many steps you're doing and that, that obviously counts towards your steps. But if, I don't know, it's quite hard to tell. So if, if you're doing a lot of workouts today, you're probably fine. But if you're like, oh, I'm doing three workouts a week, like workouts don't burn that many calories depending on the workout, obviously. But if you're sort yeah. of doing a 30 minute body weight session or even a, a weight session, like it doesn't burn a lot of calories, but that's not what we're trying to do in that session. We're trying to build muscle and build fat. Yeah. So yeah, don't look at it from that perspective. Okay. I answered some of these on a live. Um, okay, so this one is perimenopause and the correlation between that and weight gain. And is there anything you can do to prevent or minimize weight gain? So I've spoken about menopause quite a lot, mainly because a lot of my clients are going through menopause at the moment. Um, and it can massively impact your weight, not particularly as a direct thing, but you might have symptoms or like side effects such as hot flushes, night sweats, poor sleep, um, which one will make dieting way harder. Like we know the effect that sleep has on dieting. Plus the fact that may, you know, if you're getting these hot flushes, you might not want to exercise. Depression and mood swings are also linked to going through menopause. And it's actually quite interesting because it's basically estrogen is the little fucker here. Like reducing estrogen is causing all this shit. shit. I know I'm swearing because it, I feel passionate about this, this topic. Little, this little fucker. This little fucker. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a word, this little annoying thing. No, fucker. <laughs> okay. This causes like many, many side effects. It also redistributes where you store your body fat. So you're going to store more around your middle. The depression and mood swings are linked to lower estrogen levels or and, and that's because you have estrogen receptors in your brain. And so it will know that there's lower levels of estrogen and estrogen um, is linked also to serotonin levels, which is a neurotransmitter, which is linked to your reward system and is often associated with happiness. So for example, that's how MDMA works via yeah, serotonin. And I've heard that makes you happy. I, I wouldn't know. I've seen a few people tune their faces off when I used to do the doors, so they, might, they, look, they look pretty happy with themselves. Yeah, so, I mean, given all that, like, yeah, it can be a hell of a lot harder to lose body fat, but it's also the most important time to do that because storing more body fat around your middle means that you are at high risk of cardiovascular disease. That means it's more viscerally stored, which is sort of the dangerous way to store body fat. And estrogen is also linked to bone health. So when you've got low levels of estrogen, you can lose up to 3% of your bone mineral density per year. Oh, wow. Quite a lot. And that obviously is. not something you want to be doing. But um, you've got two options there, or, or both. Like Obviously, resistance training will help maintain bone mineral density. 
And also a good point is that if you're, if you're like tuning out to this, cause you're like, meh, I've not been through menopause. Like, mm, they think it's coming soon. This is still a big deal for you. So you are going to be in a far better position if you go into menopause with a decent amount of muscle mass and, and good bone mineral density. Because then even if you have got a little bit of that reducing, you're starting from a bigger place. So that's pretty important. Um, but also very important to do during perimenopause, which is when you're sort of, you've not completely stopped producing eggs, but you're producing yeah. less eggs. Um, and also finally, I would speak to your doctor about hormone replacement therapy. And if that is appropriate to you, obviously they will be able to tell you far more than I can about that. And if that's appropriate in your situation, but I will say that most people are sort of scared of that because it is linked to breast cancer, but the risks are actually really quite low. Um, but yeah, speak to your doctor about that. Okay. Uh, I think that is the end of the, well, actually we've got one question that I actually answered on live, but I thought it was quite like, the answer's quite like, wow, I think. Well, most people will be like, yeah, no shit. But anyway. <laughs> the question is, I have a calorie target of 1,500 per day or 10,500 per week. You say this is a weekly average, which works well for me, but why is it weekly? Why not fortnightly slash monthly? Would it work in the same way if you save calories for two weeks and then go mad? Would not suggest. I'm not going to do that, but just wondered if you would give me some info on this. And my answer was that, like, if you look at your body now, your body now represents your energy intake and your energy expenditure throughout your whole life. Just let that sink in. That's amazing. So, yeah, like, it, you're, this, the question is completely right. Like, you could do it fortnightly or monthly, or you could, like, save up for two weeks. But in real terms, from a coaching perspective, from us, like, no, that wouldn't work. Like, yeah, that and and most people work around a week. That's why we use a week. But yeah. sometimes it might be that okay, like I'm long term, I still want to lose body fat, but I'm going on holiday for a week. So I'm now going to look at this month and make sure I'm in a deficit for the month. Yep. Maybe I have three weeks at a bit of lower calorie intake, and then I've got a week on holiday where I eat a little bit more, and that evens out. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, I think it's, I would always probably say that using a week, um, A, as you say, everybody works Monday to Sunday in a week anyway, but I also think like seven days is quite a long time to work that. If you then to extend it to 30 days, it's yeah, just going to get confusing. Yeah, like, like you know oh, what's going your calories for the month. Use your calories for the month, you'd be like, shit, I can eat them all now. And then you've got nine days. But yeah, it's, um, I think it's it's more for peace of mind and it's, it keeps things simple. And, you know, the whole thing about dieting, training, all these things is the biggest thing is about keeping things simple. And if you can keep it simple, people will adhere to it. Whereas if you made it really difficult and said, right, we're going to do six weeks, I'm going to give you your, your, your calories for six weeks. And the people will be like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, that's, I'm now confused. At which point adherence goes out the window because they can't be arsed doing it. And like you know, that kind of throws. I think I did that at the start of Commit to Six. <laughs> Here's your Here you six go. weeks of calories. Bye. Yeah. 
deal with it how you must. Um, but yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, but also as well, if you were to give somebody six weeks worth of calories, it'd probably freak them out. They'd be like, oh my God, what did I do with it? There'd well, be more questions. What you do is be like, hmm, I'm going to divide this by six and then again yeah. by seven. Yeah, but you know, it's, I think giving somebody that number, that big number, folk are going to go, oh shit, like that's yeah. a lot, and then start freaking out. So keeping it simple is always the best way to do stuff. Awesome. I loved that podcast. Thank you very much for joining me and answering these questions. All we will be back next week. And wow. I hope you all have a lovely week. Oh, wait. I haven't stopped the recording. <laughs>